The Anton Savage Show Sunday. Brought to you by PwC. Combining talent and technology, we're hardwired to find solutions. On News Talk. We were speaking earlier on about the coverage of Ben Dunn, born 1949, died last night, um, uh, died in, uh, playing golf in, on a trip in Dubai. A lot of coverage within um, the papers, most of it online by virtue of the fact of timing meant that it was difficult to make the print editions and the online version of the Business Post, their front page has a picture of Ben Dunn and it has the headline, Death of a Business Titan, over an article written by Matt Cooper. And Matt, who would have covered uh, him extensively back when he was business editor of the Irish Independent and then subsequently editor of the um, Sunday Tribune. Matt writes, he was an entertaining and generous interviewee. And he goes on to say he was also deeply impacted by his experience at the hands of the IRA, which he was aware of and discussed at length. And his parting shot in that piece is he says, who knows how differently his life may have played out had he never been kidnapped. Matt is with us. Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Anton. It was that significant in in its impact, do you think? Absolutely. I mean, just think about it. He was held for seven days. He was in fear of his life. A ransom was paid to release him. But I I know from conversations that I had with him more than a decade later at a time when he was in dispute with his family, that it, it had deeply impacted on him, that he consistently remembered it. You could describe it, I think, in some respects as post-traumatic stress, and it impacted enormously on his life. So he may be remembered by many people for incidents such as the infamous arrest in Florida in 1992, uh, something which caused incredible headlines at the time, was scarcely believable to people. But that in itself, I think he had very likely an addictive personality anyway. He was very much an alpha male type. He probably would have been involved in a lot of hijinks anyway, but there's no doubt that that formative experience in 1981, when he was a young man and when he feared that he was going to die, absolutely formed the rest of his life. Tell us then about the incident in Florida and the the subsequent mea culpa. This was quite Extraordinary. I remember it was the Sunday Tribune newspaper broke the story with a mugshot of Ben Dunn in Florida and said that he had been arrested on the 17th floor of the Marriott Hotel in Miami. He had also been in the company of an escort and he had been arrested in the possession of cocaine. Uh, He was brought away and this, of course, led to absolute disbelief. You know, Irish people of celebrity did not get arrested in such circumstances, and most certainly not the person who was at that stage running Dunn Stores, the biggest supermarket chain and retailer in the country. His approach to it was remarkable in that he fronted up, whereas in many cases, uh, in a situation like that, people caught would say it's privacy, appeal for privacy, would hide, would, 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 not front up. He fronted up. And not only did he front up, he went on television and he apologized to everybody. He apologized to his family. He apologized to customers. He apologized. And basically, I think, won the affection of a lot of people because of that. But the consequences were to be unbelievable in some respects. It really set off a chain of events which convulsed not just his family and the business, but Irish politics subsequently. Because his actions caused deep embarrassment to his family, his sister Margaret Heffernan and brother Frank Dunn ran the business with him. 
Margaret is possibly the most extraordinary businesswoman that this state has ever produced. And what she has done in the 30 years since with the business and with her children and nieces has been remarkable. But she was furious and there was a move to get rid of Ben from Dunn Stores because of this. And there was also the commissioning of a report by the accountants Price Waterhouse, which discovered when it started digging into the accounts, all sorts of carry on, all sorts of payments. He was removed from the company. He then made his own bid to try and buy the company from Margaret and Frank. He assembled the finance to do so, but was unable to persuade them to sell. So in turn, they bought him out for £125 million, an absolutely enormous sum of money in any time. It would be an enormous sum now. It was an ultimate, a very, very big sum of money back in 1994, 93-94. But you could say, actually, in some respects, he was shortchanged because what Margaret Heffernan did subsequently was developed on stores into something worth multiples of what it was valued at that time. Maybe that's something different. Anyway, what happened was this report was available to a small number of people. But in 1996, Sam Smith in the Irish Independent revealed one part of it. Payments been made to a, that had been made to a sitting government minister, Michael Lowry. These were payments for the extension of his house in Tipperary. And obviously this caused absolute political mayhem. Uh, within 24 hours of Sam's disclosure in the Irish Independent, Lowry was forced to resign as a minister and from Fine Gael. And then the word started getting around that Michael Lowry wasn't the only politician to whom, polit whom payments had been made. And as it happened, I knew something about this and I had known about it for a while, but hadn't been in a position to put anything into print for lack of written evidence. But I was aware of the existence of the Pricewaterhouse uh, report and the following week in the Sunday Tribune, we wrote a story on the front page saying that Charles Hawhey's former accountant, the late Des Trainer, had received over £1 million in payments from Dunn Stores routed to a Cayman Islands bank account. And from that, two tribunals were served. First, there was the McCracken Tribunal, and then when further details emerged at that, the Moriarty Tribunal was set up. And when it finally reported in 2006, it was damning of Ben Dunn as well as of Charlie Hawhey based on all of the evidence that it had managed to ascertain, it discovered that Ben Dunn had made not just the one million that we had written about, but there was payments of 1.9 million in total. And crucially, uh, Charles Hawhey had arranged for meetings for, for Dunn stores with the revenue commissioners at a time when the family was facing a huge tax bill. So this was an exceptionally major story Oh, what is it now, 15 plus years ago? The um, McCracken and Moriarty Tribunal, there's, there's two quotes, if I remember them rightly. I remember Moriarty, I think it was Moriarty in um, one of its uh, documents describing you as being central to the reason of its existence and crediting you with a lot of the fact that the work that it had to do. McCracken then with that line that said that what Mr. Dunn and Mr. Lowry had got involved in was, quotes, profoundly corrupt to a degree that was nothing short of breathtaking. It reads now, maybe I am naive in this, it feels like an entirely different era of politics and and, and uh, interaction between political life and, and business life. Is that naive? 
That's a very good summation, I think, of things have changed dramatically and hopefully very much for the better since that time. I remember at the time when Ben Dunham has been called to account publicly, he couldn't remember, he claimed details of some of the things that happened and also claimed distress at his mental blackouts. He actually stopped talking to me after 2006 because of what I wrote as a result of the, um, the Moriarty Tribunal report. He was, I suppose... He was using, you could say that what had happened to him, particularly with the RT, sorry, with the IRA kidnapping was an explanation for his behavior, but it wasn't still an excuse. It didn't excuse what he had done. Um, you know, he was pretty sharp in running the business, you know, even after his kidnapping and in protecting the family money. And he remembered plenty when he was threatening the rest of his family with the court action back in 1994 before they settled. So I think his uh, explanation of a loss of memory about the precise nature of his dealings with Holly wasn't necessarily convincing to the Moriarty Tribunal, which is why it found in the way that it did. Despite the the rigour of your reporting in relation to the matters covered by McCracken and Moriarty, I get the sense that you liked him. Yeah, he was he was a very enjoyable character to actually meet. I mean, he was he was a bit of a gossip in some respects as well. <laughs> you know, he loved hearing stories about other people and telling stories about them. He was a real sort of a lad. I mean, I I never played golf with him or I never went out drinking with him or anything like that. All of the interactions that I would have had with him would have been sort of sit down meetings for, you know, on the record, sometimes off the record on a few occasions at his house in Porterstown. Uh, but he was, you know, he was, he was entertaining and he gave good copy. And I think that's actually some of the reason why large sections of the media turned to them. I would have had uh, some misgivings about the way that he continued after the Moriarty Tribunal report to be indulged in some parts as a commentator on business issues and whatever, as if corrupting a Taoiseach somehow did not matter. But I suppose that was down to his sort of plain spoken ways. In some respects, he was an earlier version of Michael O'Leary because, and this came very much from his father, and his father was the sort of dominant figure, perhaps the sort of, to take the succession analogy, a little bit of a Logan Roy with his children as well, and made things very tough for them. A, a man who, when interviewed, or when people tried to interview, would say nothing more than Dunstore's better value beats them all. And his son, Ben Jr.'s, would have been very much uh, would very much have pushed the low price and low cost type of mentality that then Michael O'Leary did with Ryanair. So, you know, Dunstores was a very significant retailer in that era of, of clothing and of food at a price that was affordable to people that might not have been there. And from that situation, he got it, he developed a profile. He went on television and radio regularly. I think he may have been on the Late Late Shows recently as 2013 talking about things. And, you know, Irish people, I suppose, they love a repentant sinner. And while he certainly sort of repented in relation to his excesses when it came to the activities in um, in Florida back in 1992, you know, it did allow him to present a certain front, although I think some of his personal difficulties endured after that time. Matt, thank you very much for your time this morning. That is Matt Cooper, who is writing in the front of the Business Post today on the passing of uh, Ben Dunn. And Matt, of course, the author of... Um, 
Who Really Runs Ireland and more importantly the book that is currently on your bookshelves if you want to go get it which is Who Really Owns Ireland where he goes through a breakdown of all of the various different people who own the assets whether it be companies, land, property, whatever else it might be uh, across this country. The Anton Savage Show brought to you by PwC Sunday mornings from 10 on News Talk.